Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm Robin. And I'm John. On this show, we break down some of the most controversial, complex, and even polarizing topics facing our society. We use honest, good faith analysis backed by research to form our conclusions. We promise to skew our bias toward what can be factually supported and to make it clear when we're giving you our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human. We have blind spots and personal biases, and they will show up sometimes, probably a lot in this particular episode. But the goal of this show isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to give everyone a foundational understanding of these complicated topics and present the most truthful information available that we can find so that we can discuss and address these issues in a thoughtful, beneficial way. We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing, but we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way that people have hard conversations, and we think that we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, we hope that you want the same thing. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. Yeah, well, we're talking about um, a a couple things, mainly Twitter, but first we're going to talk about the fact that when I was uh, editing last week's podcast, I was quite tired and I totally left out the intro and outro music. And yep. And somebody told me, and you know what, guys, I'm not going to lie. I just said, fuck it. (laughs) And I didn't fix it because Mm -hmm. I had, I had bigger fish to fry. So, um, my That's apologies, funny. however, for the for the lack of quality control on that one. Um, but the the mantra here at Fireside right now is uh, do what we can when we can do it, and mm-hmm. that is what we could do when I could do it. So that's uh, that's what's that's coming. That's what out. we, we got gotta right get now. Something. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So things might be a little unpolished. You'll also notice that uh, my audio is a little uh, different this week, and my video, if you happen to watch us on YouTube. I am on the other side of the planet recording this at dark o'clock so that we can push this out to you uh, a little bit late, a little bit late, but we're still yeah. getting one out this week. Dang it. And, um, and yeah, so that's, uh, that's the state. That's the mini, mini state of the pod at the moment. Yeah. Uh, congratulations to all of you who get to come along on this journey with us <laughs> as we try to figure out what the hell is going on with anything ever. That's right. That's right. Season yeah. uh, season three of the pod coming in strong right now, <laughs> yes. which is hilarious really because not going to lie, we spent so much time planning season three. Like That's we true. were it, we had eight different episode types and a whole production calendar and uh, we were going to read books, y'all. Um, <laughs> we read one. We got we one did. done. We did. Yeah. Um, um, and we, we may very but, well get the second one done. We might. But, I we both own it at least. Yes. So um, yeah, we had big plans, and of course, that's how the universe works, right? The more yep, you plan, the less. At least, at least my universe. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no plan survives contact with the enemy, and the enemy in this case is just reality. So yeah, uh, uh, we are completely off the rails and loving it. Not, yeah. not really loving it, but 
we're we're fine. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, a lot of interesting stuff. We are choosing to focus this week, however, on the unfolding drama happening over <laughs> at Twitter, and we particularly love this topic one because it gives me great uh, Schadenfreude, and two because it lets uh, lets Robin flex some of her marketing. Uh, experience to take a look at what's going on over there in the crazy world. It's just kind of nuts. You know, and I, I don't think it's any secret that I've never been a a big Twitter lover, not because of anything about the platform, uh, but just because like, it is the modern equivalent of mob violence and people with pitchforks for the most part. So, um, it's never really a good representation of reality, but it's getting worse. Um, what? I know, I know. I found the perfect no. quote to introduce this week's topic because it, it sums up exactly where we're headed in this episode and just where Twitter's headed in general. Um, the quote is, since Elon Musk took over Twitter, it's been nothing but a volatile roller coaster of decline and implosion, and it hasn't even been a month. And yeah, that's basically, it's just burning down. It's great. It's great. So um, before we talk about this, let's talk a little bit. Well, I mean, as we talk about this, as we talk about this, I want to frame, I want to frame what we're getting ready to talk about with um, sort of the, the Musk ethos when it comes Mm -hmm. to, to Twitter, to social media in general, but specifically when it comes to Twitter, um, Musk, uh, Elon Musk, for those of you who, who have lived under a rock for the last couple of decades now, um, he is a very wealthy business owner slash uh, inheritor of his parents' blood diamond money um, who is from South Africa. So uh, he is the owner of Tesla and SpaceX and... Uh, Starlink, um, basically, if there's some cool tech being talked about with lots of hype in the last 10 years, mm-hmm. he has probably had something to do with it. Now, the brand that he has built for himself is that he is a genius millionaire, billionaire uh, sort of entrepreneur. And I'm sure to some extent that he is. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to execute what he has so far. However, he's also something of a guy who just kind of buys a company and then takes credit for whatever that company has done. So SpaceX, he didn't start SpaceX, or not SpaceX, excuse me, uh, Tesla. He didn't start Tesla. He bought Tesla. Um, and he'll, of course, make the argument that you know it became successful after he bought it, which, sure. Um, but... That's kind of his his mo. So here he is buying Twitter. Now he is a he has always been a particular fan of Twitter as an idea, mm-hmm. at least in my in my you know readings of him and what he said about it. Um, he likens Twitter to something of a global town hall, and he thinks that it should be a place where uh, free speech reigns supreme and people can swap ideas without fear of being retaliated against by a uh, a domineering 
uh, either company or CEO or political party or somebody with an agenda. Um, so he views he views it as basically um, a a it has the potential I should say of being a paradise of freedom and equality and a place where everybody can have their ideas heard um, and anybody can respond to them. Does that some about sum up your impressions of the scenario? Yeah, um, and I, you know I think we also going into this conversation have to discuss his particular ideas of what uh, that free speech platform should uh, look like necessarily. Um, He's never been one to acknowledge that when we have unregulated speech, like we saw in 4chan and 8chan and um, in some spots on Reddit for a while and and all of those different forum-based platforms... Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it it always uh kind of descends into a cesspool of the most extremist speech because that kind of extreme spe- speech um will flock to anywhere where it is accepted and allowed because it's out it's it is uh, banished banished in so many parts of the places that we have conversations. So one of his big pitches toward buying Twitter and his idea of transforming Twitter was to remove any sort of uh, what he considered bias toward particular speech. Uh, And that's a lot of the moves that he uh, started making were contributory toward that effort. But I think as we find out a little bit later in the, uh, the discussion here, He's also taking some steps that are directly contradictory to that mindset. What? I know. What? I know. Crazy. Shocked. Now, um, that does touch on something that we have discussed here uh, in a series. Mm-hmm. Like hiccups all of a sudden. Um, and that's the paradox of tolerance. Now, this uh, 4chan, 8chan, um, these other websites, these are a perfect example of what happens when you have unregulated tolerance which is a weird way to put it um where you can theoretically say anything you want and and nothing will uh nobody will punish you quote unquote for it um and to sum it up the paradox of tolerance basically states that if you are fully tolerant of every possible idea um, that could be voiced or expressed or acted upon in, in any given uh, society or group of people, um, eventually and rapidly, most likely, that society, that group will become highly intolerant very quickly. Mm-hmm. And that is because within any group where any idea can be expressed uh, without regulation or moderation, uh, there will always be a group of people who will cast themselves as an in-group and there will always be a group of people who are defined as an out-group. And the in-group will always try to exile or otherwise um, discriminate against the out-group. And this will eventually lead to either the out-group leaving of their own volition in the best-case scenarios, or the in-group stirring up enough angst and anxiety and, and uh, intolerance towards the out-group uh, that the outgroup will be forcibly removed from whatever this uh, group is. 
uh, and that at at best that looks like um, the subreddit r slash conservative right now where if you post anything that's remotely critical of uh, the GOP or of Trump or Fox News or something along that lines, you'll usually get uh, banned instantly without warning. They'll just kick you out because you said something that that criticized them. Now, will that happen every time? No, but I've seen some pretty egregious examples of people being banned for not just being on the bandwagon. Um at worst, that looks like, uh, well, racism in, in, in our societies. Uh, that, that is how you stir up hate and, and incite violence against a people group. So or it, it, it's one of the, the highways towards that. Mm-hmm. So that means that in order to have some level of free speech where all, quote unquote, ideas can be expressed um, in the in this town hall, in the public square, there actually has to be some moderation, some restriction, some rules of engagement, if you will, to restrict certain types of speech. And that is why it's a paradox. Because without, without any sort of restriction, any sort of moderation, um, there is no such thing as actually truly free speech. No such thing as actual true tolerance. Right. Crazy. 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 You know, and then and then of course we we have the added layer of um, complexity that comes with the social media platforms uh, because they do operate as the town square, as you know, kind of the the role of the public crier anymore, but at the same time they're owned by private companies and not regulated by the government. And so they get to decide what counts as qualified speech, acceptable speech on their platforms. Um, And I know a lot of people really struggle with that idea. Again, we've talked about that before on the show. Uh, We'll do our best to link some of these more relevant episodes in the show notes um, because we do cover all of this. But long story short, a lot of folks think that these platforms need to operate in the same way that, uh, that the United States itself operates when it comes to speech. When they have no obligation to do that, you sign a user agreement every time you sign up to one of these platforms and you indicate your agreement with that on an ongoing basis by continuing to participate. And so this idea that uh, that Twitter would be obligated to even entertain all kinds of speech is a little bit of a false flag. Um, oh, yeah. So to make that painfully clear, if you're listening to this and aren't sure how the First Amendment actually works in the United States. It just means, First Amendment just means that the U.S. government, the federal government and state and local governments now um, cannot uh, act against you, cannot punish you for speaking out against, for say, say, the U.S. government. Now, there are still some, even in that, even in mm-hmm. the 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 free the clause that gives us Americans free speech quote unquote there are restrictions and there are certain things that you are not allowed to say even in America you can't say things that for example uh, put people in danger uh, you can't say things that incite people to uh, put others in danger you can't threaten people or to some limited degree, you can't make um, 
shall we say, realistic threats, threats mm-hmm. that could be believed against people, right? There are, there are all sorts of limitations to Americans' freedom of speech that you have to abide by, or very much, yes, the government can, in fact, punish you for what you are saying. But by and large, uh, we have very broad rights to, to speak out against the U.S. government, to, to, to campaign against the party in power, um, to do all sorts of things that aren't necessarily protected in many, many parts of the world. Yes. I feel like that's solid background. I think that's great background. So let's talk about what's happening at Twitter very specifically. Yes. Um, most specifically, yes. Elon Musk bought Twitter for forty-four <laughs> a billion U.S. dollars after he really, really, really tried hard to get out of it. <laughs> yeah, he overpaid. To be very clear, for Twitter. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in order to do so, he had to borrow money from Russia, from, <laughs> I can't remember if it's UAE or Saudi Arabia. I think oh. the Saudis. Yeah, uh, I think on. you're right. I'll find out really quick. Um, because <laughs> $44 billion is a lot of money, even if you're a billionaire. <laughs> um, yes. And, you know, rich person economics 101, never use your own money. Um, he also sold a lot of Tesla stock to help pay for it. Um, ooh, it's $46.5 billion to cover uh, both the price tag and closing costs. Oh, yeah. And that's not to mention probably the legal fees that came from him fighting trying to buy Twitter. Because <laughs> he said he wanted it, and then Twitter said, okay. And then he said, wait, 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 wait. And then they made him buy it. Anyway, yeah. Um, okay, so it was Saudi Arabia, seven point one billion was secured uh, from equity investors, including the co-founder of Oracle Corp, uh, Corp- Corporation, mm-hmm. uh, Larry Ellison, and Saudi Prince uh, Awalid bin Talal. Oh, of course. So, so there you go, mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia. Um, yes. Hold on. Now I want to make sure that uh, Russia was involved or if I'm just like talking out of my butt on that one. My world revolves around dealing with Russia, so I may have just brought it into everything. <laughs> um, Listen, it wouldn't surprise me, yo. These captions are going to be a little exciting. Yay. (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, let's not say Russia definitively on that one, but definitely Saudi Arabia is party uh, in a significant portion of it. Um, Importantly, the interest on how much money he borrowed uh, will mean that he has to end up paying something like $1.5 billion dollars or so in interest every year. Holy shit. Yeah. You gotta ask, is it worth it? Is it worth it to own Twitter? No. Not at all, honestly. Um, 
I I don't even like being on Twitter. <laughs> no, well, and like, okay, so knowing how Twitter makes its money, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I there's no way that you're gonna see ROI on that. Twitter's not Meta. Um, and they've done a lot to try to expand the offerings and entice more advertisers and contemplate subscription-based opportunities. But at the end of the day, you're not going to set up a Twitter shop. People are not going to be making transactions and shopping through your platform. You're not going to earn fees that way. It's straight advertising. And so the idea that it would be worth a billion dollars a month in interest to own a platform that is so dependent on something that can be fleeting, like a corporation's advertising dollars, and mm-hmm. what is going on on Twitter. Like, I mean, and again, I know that he tried to back out of it because I feel like it was the ultimate put up or shut up move in the last year. He said he wanted it and they said, go for it. And then he realized probably very quickly that this was not going to be a um, a profitable business venture for him and tried to back out. But now he can't. So what did he do instead? He fired half of Twitter's workforce. Yeah. 3,700 yeah. people. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got in the notes only to be outdone by Mark Zuckerberg and Meta, who in a classic hold my beer move, uh, fired 11,000 people via email last week. Uh, My LinkedIn feed was full of people talking about being a part of the Meta layoffs. But the way that Twitter handled their layoffs was particularly heinous. Um, Some of the people who were fired found out that they had been laid off because they tried to log into their Mac or they tried to log into their work Slack account and their access had been removed. And that's how they found out that they had been laid off. There were no meetings. There were very few phone calls. Um, I mean, we know that he walked in and fired the executives at Twitter and we, we kind of all saw that coming. And he had a particular bone to pick with them and how they ran the company. So we knew that was coming, but 3,700 people, which is close to half of the staff, were laid off when he took over. And uh, he did announce last week that no longer would people be allowed to work remote carte blanche. Um, you have to have a, a accepted and approved excuse to be working remote. Otherwise, you need to be in an office. Uh, Twitter has many or many uh, possible workplaces for 40 plus hours a week at least 40 you have to be in office Um, so that there are some oh go for it i was gonna say i think he had to personally approve everybody who wasn't working that's how the that's how the news articles made it sound yeah Um, it seems like that wouldn't be possible which is why no like there's a question mark in that statement from me (laughs) Yeah. And it, and it could be like, I mean, we know how businesses work, right? It could be that there is a list of pre-approved reasons. It could be, you know, whatever. But yeah. um, it does sound like he is closely holding what is acceptable for remote work and what is not. Uh, there are some Just lawsuits a- being considered right now because of that statement um, that basically imply that that is 
uh, tantamount to firing someone because you are changing their work situation, their working circumstances uh, without warning um, yeah. and without giving them time to respond. So we'll see how that plays out, too. Uh, that would yeah. not be good for Twitter for them to have a class action lawsuit levied against them at this point. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the people that are working remotely are working remotely from a place where Twitter has no readily available offices because that's the right. point of working remotely. Um, so, yeah, that's not going to go well for him. Just uh, clarity, I think $1 billion a year, not $1.5, $1 billion a year interest on that. And I think last year it profited somewhere around $660 million. So that's a pretty big deficit right off the bat. It is huge. It is a really huge deficit. Um, and again, like, so, I just, I don't know how they think they're going to make that up. Well, uh, I know no, one way. Well, uh, there is, well, even, well, we'll get to that. Um, there's in in terms of like he can't business savvy his way towards an extra three hundred and forty million dollars a no. year, and then more because he still has to make enough to pay his employees and and every everything like that. Um, so I'm not sure if uh, if this is a tenable situation. It kind of really does feel like Twitter is not long for this world or it's going to be uh taken over by somebody else who's going to buy it for like you know a cool 15 billion dollars or something like that <laughs> right right cut his losses and run um, mm -hmm. yeah I, I mean i think i think if the intention had been to take it over and kind of use it as a i don't know like a good faith philanthropic type platform you know, where it's just a haven for free speech, that's one thing. Uh, but to have the idea that it's going to be profitable in any way is a little a little difficult. Well, um, it's what happens when you stick your nose into a business and to business model and to business practice that you are not uh, familiar with. Right. You don't have experience with. You make assumptions about what can be done or what needs to be done, but... I hate to break it to Mr. Musk, but the people running Twitter were experts for a reason. Yeah. Like they had pedigrees and resumes and experience to run a company yeah. like Twitter. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of the, the staff have been with Twitter kind of since it before it took off. Um, I don't want to say from the first days, but since it took off as a platform. And I haven't seen anything to indicate that he had any sort of panel of experts or uh, consultants that are helping him figure out the best way forward. It sounds like he's just kind of running gunning this thing. Yeah. He, so if you're not on Twitter, um, I, I have been on Twitter more often uh, in the past <laughs> couple of weeks, largely yeah. because uh, I've been trying to fill a lot of time, but <laughs> If if I, I feel like, and I can't verify this, but I feel like um, I see so much more of Musk's tweets now. Mm -hmm. Like, I just see it all the time. So I don't know if he's, like, made it so his stuff, like, gets priority always. 
or if it's um, just, you know, confirmation bias and I, you know, I'm right. looking for the name. Um, but he's everywhere. And he is now the private owner of Twitter, which means he is tantamount to being the Twitter brand. Which led to an interesting controversy that kind of got ignored. It, it was in the news a little bit, but it kind of got blown over because there were, again, more important things than talking about a eccentric and megalomaniac, megalomaniacal. No, somewhere in there. Yeah. One of those words. I know megalomaniac is the word. Megalomaniacal. Is that it? I, I, it seems like too many syllables. Um, regardless, potentially narcissistic in a bad way person, which is not based on any research, so don't run with that. It just no. seems annoying me right now. Um, he... Uh, he tweeted out that everybody should vote Republican in the midterms. <laughs> now, his logic was that uh, a, uh, a divided government is better for the people. Yeah. Um, which is, I, I, I understand the impetus behind that logic in right. that um, if you have Democrats and Republicans who are negotiating to bring uh, um, to bring legislation to, you know, to fruition, then it is most likely going to be something that is, uh, if not good for everybody specifically, at least acceptable because right. they'll, they'll have, it'll have gone through that sort of moderation process of having to appease both sides of the aisle. Um, however, that doesn't work in a world where half of the players aren't operating in good faith. Yeah. And when the playbook, the, the, the claimed playbook of the Republicans in multiple situations is obstruction, then you cannot negotiate your, well, your, your, your way to, you know, good legislation to moderate legislation no matter how hard you try. Right. You can't you can't get people to cooperate in a divided government when nobody wants to cooperate. And it feels like especially um you know in the house which is the larger group, it feels like it would be so much harder to get people to cooperate if we had a 50-50 split. Um because we do live in a society where moderate is considered blue. If you are yeah. moderate, you are a democrat. And if you are progressive, you are a Democrat. And so it's like you we can't even have the moderate perspective represented effectively on both sides of the aisle. Um, I wish that it worked like that. I wish that we lived in one of those countries where you can have cooperation from people on all of the different political uh, perspectives and it it would work to the benefit of the people because ideally that's what we should have that was the goal of the founding fathers is that we would have that kind of representation but uh, yeah. alas also why part of one of the reasons why a, a uh, 
a two-party or a party system at all was advised against by yes. many of the founding fathers. Um, yes. But the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's something interesting in that. As a private company, Twitter can take a political stance. They're mm-hmm. a private company. They can do whatever they want. They don't have to answer the shareholders. They're under very little regulation in terms of political activity. Um However, as a platform that is trying to entice people of all walks of life to, uh, to use it in order to be an actual public uh, discussion area, to be a, a town square, mm-hmm. um, taking a political side, and, a, and from my perspective, especially taking a Republican stance is a great way to alienate a huge portion of your potential client base. Yeah, it's huge. Dumbest thing I think he could have done. Right. And and yes. And there, I think, you know, Mr. Musk's political bent is uh, pretty well known to a lot of people, but especially if for some reason or another, you are going to prioritize uh, your founder, not founder, um, your owner, CEO's content in the feed. Um, it feels like there should be some onus of responsibility to make sure that it is at least sound. Um, you know, I think there was a tweet that eventually got taken down. But in the immediate aftermath of the attack on Paul Pelosi, um, he retweeted an article that implied that Mr. Pelosi was drunk and, um, you know, and in some way at fault for what happened. And then uh, I think was, the caption it was, on it was. It was way more than that. It was that this was a dispute with his gay uh, lover. Oh, I well, sh- it shows you how much I read that kind of yeah. shit. I can't. Yeah. But yeah. No, it wasn't that he was drunk. It's that he had come home from a bar with his gay lover, secret gay lover, and that they were in a dispute, and it was a lover's quarrel that had gone too far, and that's why when the police showed up, uh, both of them were in their underwear, which I think has since been refuted uh, (laughs) by the official record, um, and where there's uh, like just a lot of absolute inanity that that came out of that particular story. Well, that's worse. It's way Either worse. Way. Either way, uh, he responded to that tweet with that tweet with or that story with something like, "It looks like there's more to the story here." Um, yeah. Well, which, <laughs> and then, and then when he was called out for it, he um, it was a, someone posted a New York Times or, or no somebody called him out. Because the headline was that he had posted a an article from a known um, public a, a publication that is known for spreading false information, oh. um, and his response to that was false. I did not post an article from like the New York Times or uh, I think it was New York Times, something like that. So he's just been like incredibly flippant about right. everything, um, which is just not a it's not a great look when you're. You know, again, the CEO now of and, and, and brand face of a company that you are desperately trying to make profitable to meet your massive debt burden. on. 
Right. It is one thing if you want to turn this into your own version of Truth Social um, and and really just keep it a safe haven for people that agree with you. It is another thing if you are going to try to keep advertisers that uh, do their very best to stay away from any sort of political speech. Um, And he has lost a lot of advertisers on this. A lot of companies have huge advertisers uh, stopped. I'll I'll pull that up. But um, Robin, what what uh, was one of the things that he was trying to do in order to pay for this massive debt? Oh, um, let's talk for a second about Twitter Blue. <laughs> let's talk Which about is, it. This this cluster cuss is my favorite part of this whole story. Um, so essentially, one of the first products that Mr. Musk and his team launched was called, is called Twitter Blue. And it offered people who are using the iOS app version of Twitter the opportunity to pay $8.00. And receive their verified blue check mark uh, to start with, but then eventually priority service in the algorithm and some uh, some other benefits as far as boosting your content, making sure your content gets seen by more people. Um, <laughs> what this that it would cost you eight dollars to do that. I think it was an eight time one it's, eight dollar one it time out. purchase. Uh, no, it's eight dollars a month subscription. It started as a twenty dollar a month prescription. Oh, subscription. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, nice, nice. And so that that was a goal to try to kind of help pay for this massive thing that he just bought. Um, but what that oh, led really to well. then was a whole host of people who are willing to invest eight dollars to get that little blue check mark and cause absolute havoc on the internet uh, by impersonating well-known accounts, well-known people. Uh, Very, very, very many people purchased verification for Elon Musk parody accounts, um, which I don't know why he thought that wasn't going to happen. Uh, But essentially, the previous verification process for Twitter involved at least some steps to make sure that you were who you said you were. It was limited to uh, certain people, people with certain amount of following or uh, public presence, and you had to prove your identity. In this case, if you had access to that version of the app, you did not have to prove anything except that your credit card would run for that $8. So um, a comedian, Kathy Griffin, got herself banned because she made herself a verified Elon Musk parody account. Um very, very many people did to the point where he actually just started banning parody accounts. Um, even those that are very clearly parody accounts that are completely satirical that everyone knows are not the real uh, person or entity, he has banned those, which again, completely aligns with that vision of Twitter as a free, free speech, speech platform, yeah. right? Um, but the best story of all of them, I think, is how $8 managed to cost one pharmaceutical company, $15 billion. Or maybe it was 16 the last time I checked. Billion dollars! Yeah. Yeah. Eli Lilly, who holds the... the, Do they hold the patent or are they just... They hold a patent, I think, for for, uh, insulin. But I think there's like... I think there's multiple companies that hold a patent for insulin. 
because you yes. you just have to change something materially enough to say that now it's it's a different it's different you know, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they they're one of the leading manufacturers and distributors of insulin, and somebody made a fake account uh, representing representing them and tweeted, "Congratulations, insulin is free now," um, yeah. which caused much havoc because it was one of the better faked accounts. Like at first glance, you're not going to know that's a fake. Um, it looked real legit. Because that's not hard to do. Yeah, um, well, and it's because I think Eli Lilly's official Twitter handle they're at is like is Lily Pad. Yeah, which is very cute. But if I were looking for an official company account, that would be the one I looked at and said, "Okay, well, that's clearly not it." Right. And so uh, somebody tweeted that, and it got just a, a huge amount of retweets and. Um, just all cause all kinds of of havoc, and then they had to go back and tweet from their official account that they did not say that, and that insulin is not free. And uh, a lot of people responded with the actual price of insulin, which is just completely outrageous. Um, mm-hmm. And their stock plummeted by fifteen billion dollars in value within twenty four hours. Delicious. I mean, it, it is a cliff. Um, which is is yeah, great. Somebody incredible. get that person the Congressional Medal of Honor because, yeah. I mean, because Eli Lilly is making massive profits off of a drug that people literally have to buy or they will die. Right, and and the, that the cost to manufacture is something like twelve dollars. Ten dollars a dose is yes. what I saw last. One one zero ten dollars. Yeah, and I think so. it it sells for at like full market retail four hundred and fifty two dollars. Last I checked. A day. Incredible. So if you if you are an individual who needs insulin every single day, uh, yeah. the market price is, is absolutely astronomical. So um, I was happy die. to see them get bit in the ass on that one. Yeah. That's my favorite. And one of the important things that came out of that was the fact that people are now paying attention to the fact that, oh, wow, insulin costs so stinking much. Mm-hmm. And... There was a measure that was that was stricken down by um, good grief by Republicans earlier this year to cap the cost of insulin for consumers, and it just got it got slammed down. So it did. Now we've got a bunch of people who are increasingly aware of how ridiculously expensive insulin is, and uh, I think that's great. I think it's great. I think it brought attention to a very critical issue. Yes. Yeah. Uh, word on the street is that Twitter Blue will be back available hopefully next week. Um, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully that's what that's what Twitter is hoping. So Mr. Musk is hoping. Um, but I did see some indications that there may be uh, different colored check marks for different industries or uh, types of people. So I don't know. We'll we'll see what the next iteration of Twitter Blue is. Um, but they've already <laughs> enacted or reenacted an old second check mark. That is says check mark and then official in gray under the handle. So now official, com- official Twitter handles have two check marks on it. it looks ridiculous. <laughs> it does look ridiculous. This whole thing is ridiculous. And it the is. idea that that you could pay eight dollars a month and have your content served at some level of priority um, in the algorithm in the feed is insane 
Because what's going to happen is that you're going to have a bunch of people who pay $8 to have their content served at priority to their followers, and their followers are going to overlap, and then no one's content is actually going to be served in priority. Yeah. No, it, 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 it's dumb. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's dumb. Um, it'll also lead to people who take a, a, we'll say, ethical or moral stance against that, um, not paying. And it'll lead to others who are trying to blast their message, be that factual or more likely misinformation or disinformation out to as many people as they can, paying the $8 a month to make sure that their message goes to the broadest audience possible. Right. Uh, it's, it, it's chaos. And that's kind of something to be predicted. Uh, Musk actually tweeted something out a few days ago that said something to the effect of Twitter's going to try a lot of things in the next, you know, couple months. Some of them are going to be silly. Some aren't, some will work, some won't. Um, which is, uh, I understand, I think the desire to try to make changes and improve the platform, but just kind of throwing it at like throwing spaghetti at the wall with a company that serves I don't know, hundreds of millions of people around the world every day seems like a bad idea. It's a real bad idea. It's a bad idea. Well, and if Um, you if you think about the way that Twitter fits into the landscape of how we document and have conversations on social media, especially in the United States, um, Twitter was kind of the running feed. It was a big deal when they switched from a chronological feed to an algorithmic feed. Because mm-hmm. for a lot of its peak years, it served as a newspaper. It, it fed the 24-hour news cycle, and you could go on Twitter and watch things unfold in real time. And by switching to a model where you've got prioritized content, which introducing ads and, and the things that we can the things that we marketers can pay to do on Twitter and any other platform, Introducing that into the mix definitely threw a wrench in that a bit. But there were still plenty of people who used it in that way. Journalists used it in that way. Politicians were using it in that way. Um, Social activists and to some extent celebrities to have more consequential conversations than you would have in an Instagram post or on TikTok or uh, back when, you know, it was cool on Facebook. Um, and so the way that he's proposing changing things will inevitably change the landscape of how we consume and process news and current events, again, especially in the United States. Um, it's, it's just going to change things fundamentally, which for a vast majority of the most active users on Twitter negates the platform's purpose so he's going to see the most active users bail from the platform because they can't use it in the way that they need to or that it it was valuable to them most of twitter's users are probably like you and i observers we flip through we read the comments we look to see what crazy things are happening but the most engaged people and the people who drive twitter forward and who make it relevant are just there's gonna bail. Yep, absolutely. And he's gonna have a whole lot of watchers, not a whole lot of engagers. Yeah, though there will be a platform that will fill 
the niche, be that Mastodon or Tribal or whatever mm-hmm. it is. These are other social platforms. I don't think it'll be Tribal for the record, but um, yeah, something will fill fill the niche and people will just migrate. Um, so real quick, some of the companies that have left, uh, Audi, General Mills, General Motors, uh, uh, Mon- <laughs> I cannot pronounce this one. Uh, is it Mondelay International? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, who makes Oreos, for example? Yeah, yeah. Pfizer, Volkswagen, um, and other clients uh, ha- are thinking about it. Um, they're definitely like uh, Interpublic Group is saying it's recommending its clients like CVS, Nintendo, Havas Media is recommending its clients like uh, Hyundai, Hyundai, um, and Domino's Pizza. Uh, pause their paid advertising on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, some really big companies, really big names. This is not chump change for Twitter. Not great. It's not great. And it's this is not chump change for those companies either. Uh, that list of companies represents the kinds of companies that will see the most success out of their Twitter ads. Twitter ads are not for everybody. Um, I'm not going to get into marketing theory here, but Twitter ads are most effective when you're trying to reach a very broad audience with um, an awareness-based message. You just want to catch their attention for a second so that you stay top of mind. Uh, You're not really looking for them to take any major action on that particular ad. But for those kinds of companies, that layer of advertising is huge. It is a huge revenue driver. So for them to be willing to say, we're out on Twitter, that's a pretty big statement. It's not going to sink any of them, but it's enough to be worth noting that they're willing to divert that advertising budget to a different platform. It's going to go to Google ads, but whatever. Yeah. Now, uh, we don't have time to talk about it, but this is all on top of the developing story that Twitter might just break because so many engineers have been fired that they can't actually keep up with the bug reports. So... Yeah. Isn't that awesome? You know what? You know what? You know where you can go that is completely ad free? <laughs> completely ad free. Where where you won't have to worry about Nabisco <laughs> flashing their delicious cookies in front of your face in order to get you to remember them. Firesidebreakdowns.com. Dot com. It's uh, where you can see all of our shows, all of our show notes. Um, You can find back uh, episodes. uh, If you like listening in a browser, you can listen to it there. Um, You can also find links to all of our social medias if you do want to go see ads alongside our content, um, uh, including our YouTube channel. We've not monetized yet, but if a bunch of you go watch videos, maybe someday we'll have ads on that. (laughs) Um, You can also find a link to our Patreon which is our number one money earner for us. Thank you to all three of our patrons. We love you very much. We actually Um, do love you a whole lot. Yeah, we do. We do, for sure. Um, We got a new review on Audible, and (gasps) I just wanted to say that I noticed that. I haven't had a chance to to get in and read it, but um, we do have a new uh, great review on Audible, so thank you so much. Um, I'm so excited. Hold on. Yeah, 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 yeah. One new review found. Um, 
five stars, civil discussion about tough topics facing the world today with people who, for a change, aren't afraid to admit their biases. That is correct. We have them. They're we bad. Have them. <laughs> well, they're not bad, but everybody's got them. Everybody um, does. Good stuff look, uh, for anyone looking to get an overview of things going on in America today. I am so happy, Amazon customer, because that's who the the author is listed as, <laughs> that you left that review. Thank you. Yes. So much. We really, really appreciate it. Um, and I think that's our, yeah, that's our, that's our, uh, our bump. Our, our shameless plug zone. Uh, yes. Let's talk about some good news. Let's talk about some good news. I mean, there's some real freaking good news uh, coming out of election week. Our last episode was talking to you about uh, just what we felt like was on the line with the last, um, with the midterm elections that took place on November 8th. We're recording this on November 14th. And as of yesterday, it was officially official that... Uh, that the Democrats would keep a majority in the Senate, um, which, again, since since we just discussed our biases, uh, I personally feel like that's real good news um, because I feel like there are a lot of policies on the table and on the line that benefit people, whether or not you are a progressive, whether you would consider yourself a progressive, there are a lot of policies that have a lot of great benefit for the average American and uh, the idea that those would be even more threatened than they already were was a little hard to deal with. Yeah. And I, I will say this, a lot of moderates and Republicans think that this is good news too, because they had to vote for Democrats to make it happen. Yeah. So um, I think being, I, I think America in general is tired of Trump train by and large. Mm -hmm. Um, But also I think something that we have professed here on Fireside many times that most of us want the same thing. We want to live in reasonable safety and security. We want to have a reasonable government that represents us in a way that we are proud of. Um, Even if we don't necessarily always agree with the decisions they make, we want to be comfortable or we want to have trust in the process. And especially in this election, many of the people who were running, uh, they were running on platforms that explicitly undermined faith in our processes, Yeah, explicitly said that they were currently corrupt. And we're not saying they can't stand some fixing. They can. But but they were saying it was definitely like out uh, completely wrong, which isn't true. There's no evidence to support that. Um, and then they were also going to make some changes. They were wanting to make changes that would make our system broken, that would make it inherently yeah. corrupt, that would make us much closer, if not explicitly, an autocracy um, and and send us plunging into actual, literal, real world fascism. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think this is what happens when, um, you know, we talked in the last episode about the dangers of the Democrats not discussing economic policy in their platform. Um, And do I still think that they could have maybe seen more success had they taken that perspective? Sure. Um, But we also now see the danger of coming to the table wholeheartedly with, um, with Trump supporters and, and aligning all of your candidates with that 
particular perspective on the conservative side. And uh, I think we saw just how many people consider themselves conservative, but not that kind. So yeah. uh, to all of you who are Republican and maybe voted Democrat or va- voted for a candidate that you uh, were confident would uphold the integrity of the American democratic system, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> thank you for standing up for that. Yeah. And I hope that over the course of the next two years, we uh, we see some validation in your instincts, in your um, thoughts to to make that choice. I know, I know, especially for some of you, it's going to be a frustrating two years and things are going to happen that you don't agree with. But I think overall, uh, at the end of the day, we'll still have a government that, you know, can make policies that you don't agree with. And that's a good thing because the alternative was a government that only made policies that you agreed with and uh, half the nation would be pretty pissed about that too. So more than half, I would, I would argue. Uh, but that's a discussion for another time, and uh, and I think I think that's everything. Do you have any I final thoughts? It. No, I have none. I have no thoughts awesome. on this Monday. Empty, emptied. All right. Well, awesome. And until next week, thank you so much for listening to us. Please take care of each other. <laughs> <laughs>